politics and above religion, a moral authority exists known globally as the ageless wisdom. It is the study of consciousness, the mystery of awareness, which cannot be measured, yet will not be denied. Stay tuned as we explore consciousness, the fundamental nature of reality. Welcome to the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School with Michael Benner. Hello, friends. Thanks for joining us on this Tuesday afternoon, December 28th of 2021. This is the last Ageless Wisdom program of this year. Looking forward to 2022, new beginnings, uh, longer days, <laughs> that part too. But uh, I have a special show for you today, sort of a year ender. I wanted to talk about psychic numbing, which is to discuss an issue that is primary to us here on the Mystery School, awareness, mindfulness, consciousness, but approached from the opposite point of view, psychic numbing. And uh, I've been thinking about this for a couple of days because I saw a film on Netflix, a brand new movie, it's just come out, called Don't Look Up. And it's uh, star-studded. Spoiler alert, I'm going to talk a little bit about the movie here at the top of the show, but not so much as to uh, uh, spoil it for you. This is a remarkable film. And although it's not yet rated at the time of airing here, uh, and we don't know what the critics have to say about it yet. I think it's brilliant. I think it's remarkable. It's a very dark comedy, but it hits so close to home that there's nothing really funny about it. Don't look up on Netflix. Again, I said it's star-studded. It's uh, Leo DiCaprio with uh, Jennifer Lawrence and, and Meryl Streep in this remarkable role as President of the United States. But she's a sociopath. She's just like Donald Trump. And her chief of staff is her son. So <laughs> it would be sort of like Don Jr. And she's enormously egocentric, uh, narcissistic, interested only in what suits her. As the world races toward a cataclysm, an apocalyptic ending, the result of a newly discovered comet that's going to smash into Earth and, and destroy it. And the way society reacts in this film is such a perfect parallel to what's happening in the United States, and I think to some extent the whole world, as we're overwhelmed by, first of all, just the pace of technology and the feeling that we're out of control and we got to swim just as hard as we can to keep our heads above water. On top of that, we have global warming, climate change, and on top of that, COVID, and then increasingly autocratic presidents who act like despots and tyrants, who, who are dictators, autocrats, supported by a class of super-wealthy billionaires, 
who control the technology and, and the science, but are rich beyond imagination. Um, the character that plays Don Jr. Uh, in one of the rallies where <laughs> Meryl Streep plays this Trump-like president, says there's three kinds of people in the world. He says that at this Trump-like rally. There's the working class, that's you folks. There's the cool rich, that's us. And then there's them, right? Now, this movie is too complex to go into very much detail other than that. It's just so remarkably rich as a dark comedy uh, commentary on the oblivion that's happening in the world. People lost in fantasies, games, and social media, and happy talk TV shows, and the challenges of paralyzing fear, denial, paranoia, and conspiracy theories all rolled into one. But the bottom line is, regardless of the way people react, the common thread that runs through all of it is psychic numbing. Human beings are very compassionate when it comes to saving one or two lives. We love the stories in the news, the happy ending stories where the child fell down the well and, and was saved, or or even a dozen coal miners in, what was it, Chile or Peru that got rescued. We love that stuff, right? But when the deaths happen on a massive scale, like 9-11 in New York City, like the daily 3,000 to 4,000 people that are dying from COVID, like the global warming situation that is having such a huge impact on immigration and refugees and agriculture and COVID's impact on the supply chain and the economy in general, accelerating the rich getting richer and the poor barely able to survive. And it's all facilitated by this haze, psychic numbing, this inability of human beings on large to maintain their awareness, to be conscious and awake and clear-headed and access their common sense when facing a huge tragedy, something so overwhelming that we'd rather live in oblivion and go into a, a trance-like state. That's what this movie comments on. Now, this program, The Ageless Wisdom, has for a little over a year now and Back in the 90s and early 2000s, I was on KPFK for a dozen years doing a similar program called Inner Vision. We always focus on consciousness, on awareness. And to the uninitiated, it may sound like one day we're talking about politics, and then another day we're talking about religion, and then philosophy, or we jump to psychology, or or matters of evolution, and may seem like we're all over the map, but again, the thread here, <laughs> the common link, is awareness. If we're not aware of it, it doesn't exist. And if we desire for something not to exist, we conveniently become unaware of it. 
So the antidote to death and destruction, the antidote to oblivion and psychic numbing is to wake up. And this is a deliberate practice of expanded awareness or higher consciousness of learning to notice what you notice, to be aware of what it means to be aware, sort of a catch-22. How can I become aware of being aware? How can I awaken myself from the sleepwalking, zombie-like state of mind that many people spend their entire lives living in, completely unaware, with little desire to break out of it. Ignorance is bliss. Better said, unawareness is bliss. Because reality is just too much for many people to handle. So it's to those of us who are staring at reality right in the face, who see the heart and soul of the impact that fear and ignorance has on our society, fear of each other, born of the fact that we don't even understand ourselves, so we're limited to judging others. So a fear of understanding the truth of who you really are, what you're capable of, developing that, this is a practice. This is a commitment. This is something you must dedicate yourself to. Because while most everybody wants to change the world, few people ever think about changing themselves as a way to do that. The peace that you're looking for has to come from inside of you, out into the world. It can't be, I demand a peaceful world in order for me to enjoy some peace of mind and maybe a little social justice. We have to change the world so it trickles down to us? No, that's not the way it works. We have to change us. Be the peace, be the justice, be the love, be the compassion and the passion that it takes in our daily life and affairs to make the world a better place. And when we talk about increasing self-awareness, I think the first place we need to apply it is emotional intelligence. We send our brains to school to learn to think cognitively reasonably, science and reason. That's pretty much all we've got. We're trained to be very left-brain thinkers. There are two other types of, two other channels, I guess, that we can learn from, imagination and intuition. But notice, those are not taught in school. There's very little on either imagination and much less on an intuition. And this is the creative right brain that we need now more than ever. We need poets to save the world. We need songwriters. We need singers and dancers, musicians, artists, painters, sculptors, architects, everyone in whatever creative field they may be in to learn to trust their intuition and express their creativity out into the world. That means we have to wake up. We have to learn to wake up. And I'm going to do program after program after program about what may appear to be current events, and often in fact are, but the theme is always going to be 
Are you awake? Are you aware? Are you alert? Do you notice what you notice? Are you aware of what you notice? What does it mean to be aware and alert? To consider the consequences of your behavior before you initiate it and substitute that for being a reflexive, knee-jerk reactor in the world. To learn to comprehend your emotions, to discern their significance, to calm them down, to even take responsibility for them, since most people presume they are victims of the way they feel. You made me feel angry, and I need your love to get by. I can't do that. I can't. I have nothing. I have no resources of my own. These are not my personal responses. They're done to me. Well, in fact, they are your personal responses. And our feelings say much more about us than anything that may have stimulated them. That's a big lesson to learn. So I'm going to do a couple of segments from a class I did here in Los Angeles a few years ago on emotional intelligence. This was an 18-hour class, so you're only going to get about 30 minutes of it in two segments. But it's a little introduction. I thought we'd, again, talk about what it means to wake up, to look up, and uh, I want you to check that movie out. Don't look up. Look down. <laughs> it's just very difficult to describe the impact that it had on me and would love to know what you think of it. Again, it's on Netflix. You'll find it on Netflix. Don't look up with Leonardo DiCaprio and Jennifer Lawrence. Meryl Streep it does, again, I'm repeating myself, but she does such an incredible job as this Trump-like, narcissistic, incompetent president of the United States. Deep metaphor. Check it out when you can. And we're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we'll begin this uh, emotional intelligence class. At least a nice big bite out of it for you. This is something I'll continue to do three, four times a year. All right, so... Thanks for joining us. Uh, wishing you and your family the happiest New Year and, and solstice. And we'll be back with more right after this. You're listening to the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School on 90.7 FM, KPFK in Los Angeles. Okay, we're back with the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School on KPFK. So, this is from a class, as I said, that I did a few years ago. It's a class on emotional intelligence. And at the beginning, what we have to take a look at is our ability to focus our awareness, to be more self-aware, to be mindful. So the segment you're going to hear follows me having played about three or four minutes of some classical music. And what I told the class was, I want you to listen to this music and notice your mind's attempt to distract you. Even if the thoughts that come up appear to be about the music, 
If you're thinking about the music, you're not really listening to it. I want you, every time that happens, to be aware of it and then simply listen to the music without judging it. And then after that, we'll talk a little bit about it. And what follows is my instruction after that. On emotional intelligence, first self-awareness, you have to be aware of the feelings that you feel in your body to be mindful of them and learn to manage those feelings, to regulate them if you're going to discern their meaning. Now, that's if we can even get people to take responsibility for the feeling as a personal response in the first place. This is mind-blowing to some people who've never really considered that they may not be a victim of their emotional feelings. It's a common figure of speech for people to say, well, he made me angry or she upset me. Uh, This person disappointed me. They let me down without any awareness that these are individual responses that certainly the behavior of an individual or a group or a, a circumstance, a, a condition or an event for that matter, could provide the stimulus to cause you to feel this way or that. But the feeling is yours. The stimulus may come from outside, often does. We feel the way we feel because of the conditions that we find ourselves in. So yeah, if somebody says something insulting to you, that's going to hurt you and perhaps make you angry. And if it's repeated, maybe you begin to hate somebody. But those are your emotions. Those are your responses. They they really weren't done to you. The same insulting, hurtful thing, the same tragic incident, the same unfortunate circumstance occurring to a dozen different people will create a dozen different responses. So both things are true. Life is done to you. There is a stimulus from the outer world. But the quality of the emotion is yours. That's your personal response. Now the question is, Are we going to be reflexive about it? Just some autonomic knee-jerk reaction? Or are we going to open up that space between stimulus and response? And take a look at the feeling. Consider how many different perspectives or points of view we can take in understanding the feeling. Give it a shape, a size, a color, a texture, a temperature, a fragrance, a flavor. Become as familiar as you can with that feeling. And then, how many different ways can I respond? And initiate the point of view and the response that's in your best interest. And ideally in in the best interest of all concerned. But that takes awareness. That's mindfulness. And again, that's what we're talking about today. So, that brings you up to speed. This is what follows. One of the things that my wife and I used to love about driving cross-country and 
it's been a few years since we did it, but we on three different occasions we drove from L.A. to Michigan to Missouri where we have family and back. And, you know, you pull into some place like uh, Iowa, Nebraska, Kansas. They have front porches. And people are sitting there in rocking chairs watching the grass grow. And you run into your neighbor at the True Value store. And they got time to stand there and chat with you for 15 or 20 minutes to sinc- with a sincere interest in, well, how are you doing? And how is Uncle Harry's gout? And did that dog ever have those puppies? What the hell is the matter with us? And I love this city. I came to this city 32 years ago, and it's been very good to me. I have no complaints. It's great. But sometimes when I don't do my meditation and I don't take care of myself and I don't reorder things, I find that I'm living on the edge of a nervous friggin' breakdown. And we delude ourselves into believing that that's excitement. Stress seems to be very exciting. But it's deadly. Too much, anyway. There is such a thing as eustress. Do you guys know the word EU stress? It means good stress. It means rising to the occasion. It means a little bit of adversity, you know, a little challenge. So when we talk about stress, we're talking about distress, a point of diminishing return that we reach pretty quickly, after which more and more stress degrades our performance and just makes us feel horrible. So we have pills for that. And uh, all medication has side effects, unintended consequences, all of them. What is ironic is how many drugs the side effects include the very thing the drug is prescribed for. So I'm going to take this antidepressant, one of the side effects of your depression. Oh, well, that makes sense. That's smart. But watch. Be a watcher. When was the last time you stopped to watch a spider spin a web? When was the last time that you passed somebody with a dog on the sidewalk and stopped to say hello to the person and scratch the dog behind the ears. You are essential, but but your life isn't that important. I mean, it's terrifying to consider that if you don't go to work tomorrow, they'll get along fine without you. I'm sorry to have to be the one to remind you that the world will continue to rotate. Slow down on the freeway. Drink in. Soak up the quality of existence. Do you want to wake up at 70 or 80 or 90 and realize, I forgot to pay attention? 
Some of you have no doubt heard my story about the chocolate brownie. Well, I told this on the radio, and and after the show, I walked outside, and there was a guy waiting with a grin and another chocolate brownie. And you'll understand why as I tell you the story. Doreen and I were craving some coffee, caffeination. We wanted the side effect. <laughs> and I said, you know, I'm not sure whether, you know, we want Starbucks or Pete's or something that really jolts you away. What's the point? And so I said, I, you know, there's a Starbucks up on the Sunset Strip that's not far from here. We were like in West Hollywood down by the Bodhi Tree and, and where there's no freeways. And so we're just sort of poking our way home anyway. So, yeah, let's zoom up to Sunset. There's a Starbucks up there. We haven't been there in a long time. So we go into the Starbucks and Doreen's ordering the coffee and I'm in front of the pastry counter. And I go through that little battle, you know, devil on one shoulder, angel on the other. That's a thousand calories, that espresso brownie. Yeah, I know, but I haven't had one in a long time. That stuff's going to kill you. Well, not just one. You know, you've all had the argument. You know exactly what I'm talking about. In this case, the devil won. Yeah, I'll have that uh, three million calorie espresso brownie. Thank you very much. And we get in the car, put our coffee in the coffee holders. I put my little brownie in the, in the center console there. And we go off down the Sunset Strip. Now, we hadn't been to the Strip in a long time. And so it's like, you know, those billboards, you know, half-acre billboards. Oh, look at that new movie. Oh, look what's coming to town. Oh, that restaurant, new ownership. Oh, look at those people. Aren't they funny looking? Whatever. We get to the end of the strip. I look down. The brownie is gone. <laughs> Unconscious Michael. I ate the whole thing and never tasted any of it. Don't do that with your lives. We've already wasted too much by being unconscious. We're missing the richness, the beauty of life because the false self is distracting us with these seemingly important thoughts, and we're such very important people. And we have so much to do, just trying to keep our heads above water and pay those bills. Look, I've had good years and bad years. I've had months where I had money in the bank. I had months where I didn't know how I was going to pay my bills. And yet, have you noticed somehow it, it always sort of works out? I mean, maybe not the way you would have willfully wanted it to, but somehow things sort of take care of themselves. Not that you can just stay in bed all day with the covers up. There's days we'd like to do that, and probably days we should. So let the music have its way with you. Watch the spider. My God, if you had an opportunity to watch a bird build a nest, why would you not clear your calendar, cancel all of your appointments, make a cup of tea, 
and watch the bird build the nest. Please, all we need is some significant percentage of the world to wake up to this. And we'll see the difference in the world. The people of the world want this. It's the damn leaders that we keep putting in office that are drunk on false power. We get the government we deserve. We keep electing these bastards. And I'm not sure what to do about that, except maybe rely less on government and more just on each other and our families and our communities and our neighborhood. Just remember that that love your neighbor as thyself is inclusive. There's no one on this earth that is not your neighbor. When I hear people say, love your neighbor, I wonder how far down the block that goes. Think about it. Now, when I put feelings up here, I mean emotional feelings. Again, we have physical feelings, and you can make an argument for mental feelings, although nobody talks about them. So I'm talking about thoughts and emotions here, and I want to make some suppositions to you. These things are not carved in granite. Moses did not bring these down out of the burning bush. They're not law. Make of them what you will. But I'd like to propose that if not exclusively, nevertheless, there is a tendency here for thoughts to be objective in nature and feelings to be subjective in nature. Some of you may say, well, that's obvious. And maybe to you it is. And some of you may say, I don't know what you're talking about. Objective, the root word is object. You see this? And subject. Thoughts are about the objects in your life. Thoughts are about the external. The world around you. This is why we send the mind to school and we don't care at all at this point in our evolution about educating our emotional nature. Not only do we not have classes in how to learn, which I find absolutely bizarre. That's to me the strangest thing. You can have a master's degree and three PhDs and never find a class in how to learn. It's crazy. I have one, but. So we send our mind, our mental nature to school to learn about the world around us. The objects, the things, those separative forms, the external world. Everything that exists except you. Who stands at the center of your existence. Sort of funny, isn't it? I'm going to stand here in the center and use my mind to know and hopefully control everything around me and not know myself. Feelings, emotions, emotional feelings, on the other hand, are subjective. They are about the subject, you.
and are internal in nature. Now, I can't prove this to you. And I don't hear a lot of chatter about this. Take it to your next cocktail party and it's like dropping a bomb in the room. Nobody will want it. Maybe you'll find somebody who would be interested in talking about what at first blush might seem like a very arcane subject. But there's even more. And these things, again, are very difficult to separate and we've already said last week that and I think I, I said uh, earlier today, too, that in the, in the three-layer cake, thought, feeling, and behavior, which includes speech, that change any one, it'll affect the other two. So these are not completely distinct and separate. But what I would say to you about that is that would be the, the quality, the emotional quality of the thought. But the thought itself is about other things. And when we think about ourselves, we compare and compete because that's what thoughts are. They're deductive and can be right or wrong. We all know that we can have wrong thoughts. We've been to school. We took a test. I got five wrong. I thought they were right. Well, my thoughts were wrong. Feelings, on the other hand, they are non-deductive. How about that? More on this in a minute. And are never wrong. Oh, my God. Is that possible? Now, emotional feelings can be misinterpreted. I don't mean your interpretation of other people's feelings. I mean your interpretation, your experience of your own feelings, especially when you use thoughts to try to analyze a feeling that resists analysis. Why do you feel that way? Well, I don't know. Well, because, but now I go to thinking nature. Well, um, men like to say this to women especially. Well, that's not reasonable. Well, if a feeling was reasonable, it would be a thought. Reasonable reasoning is a cognitive mental process. You don't reason your feelings. That's why many of our emotional feelings are unreasonable or irrational. They're supposed to be. We've already got a reasonable, rational side, the mental aspect that we sent to school. Further, if we think about ourselves, when we think about ourselves, because thoughts are essentially deductive, there is something called inductive thinking, I'll explain in a minute. To think about the self is to compare yourself to others when, in fact, you are incomparable. You are not comparable. You are incomparable. You're unique. I know it makes us uncomfortable to even consider it, much less celebrate it, 
But we have fingerprint evidence and DNA proof that everybody is unique. Everything is unique. This universe won't even replicate snowflakes. I don't know. Maybe it's just I'm a lazy guy. But if I was God, I'd find six or seven nice snowflakes and just crank them out and figure who's going to know. Yeah, the ones I like. Who, who needs all them snowflakes? Everyone different. Every grain of sand different, unique. Every blade of grass a different color green. What are we being told here? Isn't there a, an implication in the refusal of the universe to replicate, to duplicate itself? That your individuality and your uniqueness is essential? That the reason you're here is to have a unique experience of what it means to be here? If I say unique individual or genuine, authentic individual, I'm being redundant, aren't I? We don't think clearly about the word individual. I'm an individual, sure, just like you. <laughs> but I'm not just like you. See, I am in many ways like you and you and you. And we're, and we're, we're, we're common to each other in many other ways. I'm just pointing at the implications of being essentially unique. And so here's a mind, a mental nature that is objective, that is focused largely through physical sense and sensation to the external world around us, everyone and everything except us, judging, comparing, Competing, the red one's better than the blue one. Pete's is better than Starbucks. How about them Dodgers? And so to know ourselves, the uniqueness that is in evidence in our fingerprints and our DNA and our worldviews, we need a way of understanding, a quality of intelligence that does not judge that does not compare and compete. And that is the EQ, the emotional intelligence, hidden in feelings, but discernible only when the feelings are calm. This is the secret. I mentioned it last week. Get clear on this. Because when you talk to people about emotional intelligence or EQ, that's the first objection you get from intelligent people. They say, what are you talking about? My emotions make me stupid. I get angry, hurt, upset, and all of my reasoning and my intelligence goes right out the window. Yeah. Bad decisions, missed opportunities, oversights, you bet. But when we quiet the mind, let life have its way with us. Not all the time, just sometimes, a few minutes a day or when appropriate and needed. And calm the emotional nature, quiet the waters, they support us. Emotional nature supports us. And that's the first half of this segment from my emotional intelligence class a few years back. 
that uh, we're going to present. We need to take a short break. You're listening to KPFK in Los Angeles, and this is our last show of 2021. Looking forward to uh, next year with the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School every Tuesday at 1 o'clock. But let's take a brief intermission, and we'll be back with the second part of this class on EQ. This is KPFK. And we're back with the last Ageless Wisdom Mystery School program of 2021. Playing for you today a couple of segments from a class I did years ago in Emotional Intelligence. Keep in mind, it all starts with self-awareness, with mindfulness. Most of our feelings pass by without us noticing. In fact, even when we're in the midst of a strong emotion, people will often deny it. Have you, have you ever heard an angry person insist angrily that they're not angry? <laughs> or a defensive person defending themselves by insisting they're not being defensive? So emotional intelligence, like mental intelligence for that matter, begins with mindful self-awareness. And we talked about that a little bit. Now we're going to go into some of the differences between thoughts and feelings. And I begin by developing that water allegory, how are emotions like water? You're listening to KPFK. Here we go. It's another nice allegory about water is emotions. Not only does it support you when you are fearless, but choppy water, water that is upset or hurtful, you know, choppy water, you cannot see into. You can't understand an emotion that is flaring or raging. But when you calm the waters, be not afraid, be fearless, ye of little faith. Calm water you can see into and understand. But further, you can also see reflected on the surface that which stands above you. So calm waters reveal not only the emotional nature, but the spiritual nature that overshadows you. It's a rich allegory. Remember, the map's not the territory. These are parables. These are allegories. Don't take me literally. Don't worship water unless you want to just worship everything, which is okay. But... So look what a nice compliment we have. Objective about the world around us, feelings subjective about the world within you. Thoughts about the world around you, uh, again, feelings internal, objective external, subjective internal. Thoughts can be right or wrong, feelings are never wrong. Let's talk about deductive and non-deductive. There is such a thing as inductive logic. Um, in fact, Francis Bacon, Sir Francis Bacon, who's, who many of us who studied the matter believe founded the Rosicrucian movement based on a rediscovery of ancient Kabbalistic mysticism. Sir Francis Bacon, the inventor of the scientific method, was also the inventor of inductive logic 
And the best way to describe inductive logic that I know of is to give you an example of it. Often it involves if-then statements, and it's essentially an extrapolation of observed events. If you look in a dictionary, you might see an example like, if every crow I have ever seen is black, then all crows are black. Well, that can be a reliable form of reasoning if the database from which you're extrapolating is large enough and significant enough. If I have personally seen 20,000 crows and studied the literature of people who've seen hundreds of thousands of crows and we can't find one that isn't black, it's pretty safe to extrapolate and say, therefore, all crows must be black. Or until I see one that isn't, I'm going to hold with this theory. That's inductive logic. But do you see how that can be a crutch and indeed is often a crutch for lazy people? to discriminate, bigotry, and prejudice, to prejudge. Listen to a racist, or a sexist, or an ageist, or a luxist, and they will talk about their anecdotal evidence for their stupidity. You know? Well, of course all Irish are drunks. How do you know? Well... I knew this Irish guy once. Oh, far out. And that's it? Well, I sort of knew this other guy, and he liked to fight, and he was Irish. Be very careful of inductive logic. But you also have to be careful of deductive logic, which is the way we use the mind 98% of the time. Deductive logic is general to specific. It is a take-apart process of logic, understanding through dismantling. Think of balancing your checkbook, where you have a balance and you deduct, you subtract the checks you have written to arrive at a new balance. Think of algebra, those problems that we had in school, these long algebra problems with an equal sign in the middle, and you factor out and do the same process to both sides and winnie it down, pulling out, pulling out, deducing, subtracting, x equals 4. Oh, far out. Deduction, subtraction, take apart. That's how we reason. That's about the only thing the mind has. Take it apart. The watch doesn't work. Take it apart. Seems reasonable. But it's, it's really subtle. I mean, it's a, look at ordering from a menu in a restaurant. And you say, oh, well, okay. So open up this menu and see what I want to eat. And what do you do? Eliminate what you don't want. Don't even know you do that, but you do. Well, breakfast is out. I don't want breakfast. Dinner, no, I'm not that hungry. Let's look at lunch. Salad, damn, I've had so many salads, I feel like a rabbit. No, I don't want salads. No, I don't want all that. You winnie it down until you get down to three or four things, and you go, oh, well, this feels good. 
So you, you might use the mental nature to eliminate everything you know that you don't want to arrive at a few possibilities and then use your feeling nature to say, oh, that sounds good. I think that'll be good. So when we apply, here's the point, when we apply the mental nature, our intelligence, so-called, our mental intelligence, to knowing the self, it's going to take you apart. Have you noticed? Have you noticed how critical we are of ourselves? And sometimes those voices will sound like one or both of your parents. But that's not your completely your parents' fault. For if they were saints, it could sound like the bully up the block or the older brother or sister that picked on you or that one school teacher that you despised or a bus driver or a stranger on the street and you pick up their voice but you're the one that beats yourself up, tears yourself down, criticizes, refuses to forgive. Think of the times that you have forgiven people that you love and care about for things that they have done that if you had done, you would never forgive yourself for. So that if I'm your friend and you love me, I do something illegal, immoral, unspeakable, and you go, geez, hey, Benner, uh, that's okay. Don't worry about it. It's cool. I understand. And anybody can mess up like that. <laughs> but if you did it, you'd spend the rest of your life feeling guilty and ashamed and, and flagellating yourself. Because we really have two standards, don't we? this mental nature, one standard for everybody in the world that is reasonable and intelligent, and another higher impossible standard for us that we can never satisfy. It's in our, 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 our vocabulary that we are our own worst critic, each of us is our own worst critic. And that's because we're using the mind, the objective nature designed to understand the world around us, to understand the incomparable. When in fact, emotional feelings are the portal to finding yourself. This is the way. Is that to the complete exclusion of thoughts? No. I can't think absolutely independently of feelings. I can't feel completely independent of some thought process. There's always going to be some overlap and some intersection. But I want you to begin to consider this, that what you think of yourself doesn't really matter any more than what other people think of you. I mean, it matters, but not nearly as much when it comes to understanding the truth of who you are and what you're capable of as what you care about 
And if I call it love, your eyes will glaze over because you've heard it so much. We sell cars and cigarettes with love. We have no idea anymore what the, what the word even means. But if I say you are what you care about, well, that's a new way. Maybe that'll hit home. And that's where I want to leave it today. Not only are you not what other people think about you, you're really not what you think about you, except in a peripheral way. The heart and soul of your identity, your true, authentic, genuine individuality, is found in what you care about, especially in calm and quiet moments. Even that you care. This week, practice these meditations, the one we did today. Listen to music, watch the spider spin the web. Take, watch a cactus grow if you're really patient. <laughs> There's a challenge for you. And the exercise from last week, remember the inner child, love the inner child. It's blasphemous. It's idolatry to visualize God as a being, as a form with a limitation or a name. But to think of divinity as represented by the joy in a three- or four-year-old child, a spontaneous joy, happiness for no reason at all. When was the last time your mind allowed you to be happy for no reason at all? It wants reasons. Not necessary. Happiness for no reason is your identity, and it's unique. Because some of us like NASCAR, and some of us like Grand Prix. And some of us don't care about car racing at all, and some love football, and some think baseball is the gentle person's game. Whatever, that's fine. But just consider this week, as you practice these exercises, review your notes, that you are less what you think about yourself, that critical, nasty, judgmental part of you that beats yourself up, as if there's some advantage to that. And consider that this intelligence is wonderful for the world around you. But that there is an EQ, an emotional intelligence, that reveals the essence, the truth of who you are based on what you care about. Reflect on that. Drive safely. It's the most dangerous thing most of us do. Have an absolutely wonderful and conscious week. Thank you for being here, and I'll see you next Sunday. KPFK in Los Angeles, this is the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School. And that uh, little taste of a class on emotional intelligence I did a few years back is the way we'll end this year of 2021. And I want to thank you for listening to the Wisdom School. I appreciate the feedback, uh, the email that I get, and social media posting is really valuable. And our podcast listeners who leave reviews on Apple Podcasts or, let's see, Spotify is now doing reviews, or Podchaser, I think Google also may have reviews. That really helps. I can't tell you how important that is. And you can always hear this program streaming on demand at its homepage, 
theagelesswisdom.com. The T-H-E is part of it, theagelesswisdom.com. Thank you for a great year as we look forward to a new year, 2022, with you. Every Tuesday afternoon at 1 o'clock on 90.7 FM KPFK. And gang, remember, it just has to get better. Like the Beatles song, when it appears it just can't get any worse, the only direction is up. It's got to get better. And it will. Things are getting better. Rising like a phoenix out of the ashes. <laughs> That's the old metaphor. But everything has an ebb and a flow. A rise and a fall. An in-breath and an out-breath. And after dark times, things get better. So let's hold that affirmation as we look at the new year. And as always, be gentle, love life, and take care of each other. This is Michael Benner on KPFK in Los Angeles.